So here we are. Yes, action. <laughs> if you're not here in person, uh, Hayden is making sure that I stay on top of when we should start. One of the reasons we want to stay on top of things is so we're going in the right direction. Because we spend a lot of time going in different directions, and sometimes we know exactly where we are supposed to be going, and sometimes we don't. I was reminded of that in two different ways this week. There were two different occasions where a group of people had an influence in the, the news of our nation this week, and the question was, well, where are they going? The first one we had, as you may have heard, a riot in Philadelphia at the beginning of the week, I think that was Monday maybe, uh, where people broke into stores, uh, the Apple store, some high-end clothing stores and so on, raided the stores and were shouting, we need food, while they walked out with luxury clothing and iPads. And and that was something that caused a lot of people to say, well, what are they trying to accomplish? Because I know that an iPad has a lot of megabytes in it these days, but it's not going to feed you. So where were they going? Second one was our esteemed U.S. Congress. Our Congress was debating how to fund the government for the next period of time. And one of the interesting things, usually when they come to this point where everyone's counting down the hours until a shutdown, there's some kind of clear demand on the side that's holding it up. We want to see this removed from funding. We want to add this. One of the things that people remarked this week is it was the shutdown over nothing because no one, including a lot of the people that were advocating for not funding the government, could say what exactly it was that they were hoping to accomplish. So in both of these cases, you had a group of people who were making a profound impact on our world and yet couldn't really even say where they were going. And it struck me how often it is that that's us. Why is it that they do that? It's because that's what we do as well. We're, we're wandering around trying to figure out where we're going, and sometimes it's just very quiet little things. You know, like I walk into a different room and I think, well, why did I walk in here? I'm, I'm not really sure. I, I don't remember. Uh, other times it's more profound things like you, you go to a new job, you, you apply for it, you're excited about it, you arrive and you think, why did I go here? Where is this taking me in life? We, we, we build up friendships, we, we end friendships, we have all these different things going on in our lives, and we think, well, why am I doing this? Because it doesn't seem to be going anywhere clearly. Sometimes we spend years trying to get someplace, and then we're not even really sure why we got there. I was reminded of that today. I was driving through a neighborhood, and I saw this. Trophy. That looks like a really nice trophy, incidentally. No one has ever given me a trophy like this, incidentally, ever. I, don't, I didn't want to be too creepy to the, the neighbor that, was, that had that there, so I, I didn't go up on the driveway and try to read the inscription. But if you notice, it's at the end of the driveway. In other words, it's now considered a piece of trash. And I thought about that. I looked at that trophy, and I, I thought, here is something that took some work, presumably. You usually don't get eight. I mean, in case, I should have had something but for scale, but it was about like this tall. Usually you don't get a trophy like that for participation. You get a trophy like that because you worked really, really hard at something and achieved it. But presumably, presumably the person that achieved it at some point looked at that trophy and said, I don't even know why I was trying to get there. It doesn't matter anymore. I'm just going to put it out in my driveway. Maybe someone else will take it. Maybe someone who's never had a trophy will take it and it'll make them feel good. And if we've never had a trophy like that, well, we think, 
boy, that would make me, that would make me feel really good. And yet the person had it and discarded it. Where are we going? Because we struggle to find a good path. We struggle to find a meaningful path. And a lot of times what the world says is going to be meaningful, what the world is, says is going to fill our room with trophies to the point that we actually have a trophy room, ends up being the sort of things that we want to put on the driveway and discard. Jesus says in our, our verse for tonight, <coughs> which we're going to look at in just a moment, that we have two choices. We have two different ways we can seek out meaning in life. And what we do there, how we seek that out, is going to determine what kinds of trophies that we accumulate and whether they're going to mean anything to us afterwards, after life is done. Let's go ahead and come before our God in prayer and ask for his guidance, and then we'll dig in. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as people who are often confused. Sometimes we're in places of power like Congress. Sometimes we're in places where we feel very powerless, like, like those who may have been rioting. Sometimes we, we're right in the midst of everyday stuff, nothing that will ever get on the news one way or another, and yet we feel powerless. We, we achieve great things. We receive a trophy, and yet it feels meaningless. We don't know where we're going, Lord. Father, would you guide us with your Holy Spirit that as we reflect on your word, as we f reflect on the word of your Son, that we might be guided to that which is truly meaningful, that we would know where we are going, we'd know by your grace how we're getting there. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hey, let's go ahead and dig in. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. I think that seems a little counterintuitive to us at first, that, that it's wide and easy to go to destruction because at times we, we do things in our lives that, that are not the best. And as we do that, it feels like, well, this is really hard. So how, how can Jesus say it's easy? And yet, what do we find over and over and over again in our lives when we're not paying attention, when we're just kind of going with the crowd? And generally, for example, when you see a mob like the one that was in the news this week, what happens? There's a lot of people that probably weren't planning to do that that night. They just kind of got swept up into it because it's exciting and there's this crowd going and everyone is seemingly focused on something and suddenly we realize we're in the midst of it and we're not even really sure how we got there. The gate is wide and easy because oftentimes we don't even realize we've entered it. We're just minding our own business and we don't realize that we're going right through this gate. The gate is so wide it doesn't even feel like a gate at all. We're just going and everything at first seems pretty good. Jesus wants to challenge us to think about our choices and what we're entering into because it's when we don't even realize that we're entering into something that we're most inclined to enter into the very things that lead to destruction. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Now, we think about this wide gate and we start to try to figure out, well, what's written over the gate? What if I walk up to that gate, does it say, this is the gate to what? And, and, and generally speaking, it's whatever we don't like. I already made reference to our political system. A lot of times what we think of as the wide gate is whatever political party we're not aligned with. They, they have their flag up right above that gate. No question about it. 
You know, if, if only those people would be bright enough to see there's this wide gate there. We don't want to think in terms of right and left. A lot of times it's, it's people that are different than us, whether they have different customs, they, they live in a different country, they speak a different language, and we think, well, if only people in that culture, if only people in that society could see how they're, they're walking through this wide gate. Why don't they see it? It's so obvious. Here's the problem. The wide gate has our names and our favorite sins written over it as well, just beckoning us in. Come on in. It doesn't just look like any old gate. It has a VIP sign on it that has our name on it. Hey, come on into the wide gate. It's easy. You know you want to be there because it feeds right into our, our natural inclinations. What do we like in life? What do we love to do? What makes us in the moment feel like things are going really well? That's the exact sort of thing the wide gate invites us into. And so as we, we label it, as we try to find, here are the people that are walking in the way of the wide gate, what we're doing is we're, we're so busy trying to find them, we're walking sideways and the wide gate's right over our head, we're going right into it, we don't even, don't even notice. The, the real distinction between the wide gate and the narrow gate isn't something that we can point to as a, a worldly category. The, the real distinction between the wide gate and the narrow gate is, is it biblical or not? Are we actually doing what God has called us to do or not? And all of us at times can say, yes, if you're here tonight, God calls us to be in church. God calls us to study his word. So we, we can say, okay, I, I'm, I'm trying to do something God's called me to do in this moment. But all of us can also point to those places where we're charging towards the wide gate. The question is, which one is going to be the predominant story of our lives? Which one is going to characterize us? Which one do we want to belong to? And a lot of times when we use worldly categories and we're trying to say, well, this political group is clearly the wide gate political group, or this culture is clearly the wide gate culture, or, or people that don't dress exactly the way I do, clearly that's the wide gate category. What we're doing is we're actually falling straight into that wide gate because one of the things the world loves to do is figure out how to label people and label them in such a way that there's them, they're the bad guys, and there's us, we're the good guys. How does God label us? We're either his or we aren't. Everyone's made in his image. Everyone is loved by God. The question is, do we want to belong to him or not? Are we children of God or not? And if we're children of God, then we're heading towards the narrow gate. If we're not children of God, if we're trying to do it on our own, if we're heaping up all kinds of categories that we don't want to be in so we don't go in the wide gate, and then there's all these categories that are the things we actually happen to appreciate and enjoy doing, and we put them on the narrow gate side because, of course, discerning people of good taste would know that those are the good things. We're actually charging towards the white gate. The Pharisees fell into this. The Pharisees, the, the most righteous people as far as the law of God is concerned in that time period, the people who had it all delineated out, they knew every law of God, they knew how to do it, they had expanded on it, they had commentary on it so that if there were gray areas, is this violating God's law or not, they knew exactly how to make sure they never entered the gray areas. They had fallen into this wide gate. Matthew 5, 19. We looked at this a, a, about a year ago. Jesus says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these, excuse me, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But 
whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Imagine you're here. This is all one sermon that Jesus is preaching. He's mentioned that already. He's saying the Pharisees are going into the wide gate. And you look over at them. There's some over there grumbling as Jesus is preaching. And you look over at them, and they're dressed in the most biblically defined clothing. They're, they're making sure everything they're wearing fits into the law of God. They've just wa- washed their hands before their last meal in a ceremonial way to make sure their hands are clean before God. If we're coming up on the Sabbath, they've figured out exactly how many footsteps they can be away from their home so they don't do any work by walking too far and violating the way of God. And, and Jesus says, if you're not more righteous than them, you're never going to enter the kingdom. Those are the people of the wide gate. How do we make sense of this? Jesus says, for the wide gate is, the gate is wide and the way is easy. Now, it could be better translated, perhaps, the way is broad. So Jesus is really emphasizing not so much that life is always easy when you're following the wide gate, but rather it's so easy to fall into it because it's, there's no resistance. It's just there. It's where we go naturally. It's like a good on-ramp on the highway. Maybe you're down in the city and you, you pull off and you realize that on-ramp is really narrow. Or around here, if you're, you're going down 94, you, maybe you're headed towards 4064 and you're going down 94 and you decide to get off and take the page extension over to St. Louis instead, and they've just put in a new intersection. That thing, the, the lanes are so narrow and twisty. It, it's, it's weird. They just put this in, and it feels like they jammed it into an urban area. You feel like, if I don't slam on my brakes, and if everyone behind me doesn't slam on my brakes, I'm going to go careening off, or someone's going to run into me. And we really feel that when we run into a, a ramp like that, because you're so aware that I, I'm moving at a proper speed, but this road doesn't support that. Jesus is saying, when we're going down the highway of life and we're charging along the off-ramps onto different parts of the wide gate road are so easy to pull off on, you're never going to feel any resistance. You're not going to feel like you need to even tap the brakes. You just keep going full speed ahead because it's nice and broad and there's no problem. It's comfy. You just do it. Everything seems to be going well, not because everything is perfectly easy, but rather because it seems like the path of least resistance. It seems like the most natural path to us. Oftentimes, it even seems like the righteous path because the path that we're taking is the path that fits our preferences. We're talking about the way of the world, and this is really the challenge. Are we going to follow the way of the world? The world likes to do what the world likes. And by that, I, I mean this. We don't all have the same preferences, but we all like to do what our preferences dictate. And so we all have sinful preferences, we all have fallen preferences, and the world says whatever your fallen preferences are, whatever your sinful preferences are, you're going to feel fulfillment if you do those things, so go and do them because they'll make you happy. And so we don't necessarily all choose the same thing, but what we choose feels right to us, feels pleasant to us because We just pull off onto that ramp and it's nice and wide. We're not afraid of anyone running into us. We just keep charging along. We don't even realize that we're going down it. It's a real challenge for us in the church because we can and should be of the world in the sense that we're not meant to all huddle in here at Little Hills or some other church. We 
we lock the doors and well, the curtains are closed at the moment since it's sunny, but pull the curtains and, and we just pretend that nothing's out there and we never go outside and we're never around other people. We're supposed to be those who go and proclaim the gospel, who, who share God's love. But here's the challenges we do. We absorb what the people around us think and feel and, and we see the ways that they're living that look like they'd be more pleasant to us than the ways that we're living. How often is it that God calls us to something but we, we're around other people and they're not doing it it seems to work okay for them so why don't we do the same as them? It'd be so much easier. And then we go a step further because if, if we are here in the church we think, well, but I need to do what God's calling me to do so what do we do? We, we baptize those things. We take those ways of the world, those ways of, of being self-righteous and judgmental. We take those ways uh, of justifying our sins. We take those ways of living like absolutely everyone else does in the exact same unloving, uncaring ways. And, and we, we find ways to put Christian language around them so that we can say, no, I'm actually doing God's work. And that's what the Pharisees did. They were some of the the meanest people that we encounter in the New Testament. Over and over again, they're, they're looking for a way to, to point out where people are tripping up. Say, aha! Aha, you're not really righteous. We're righteous, you're not righteous. That's what they're looking for. What does the world look for? It's always looking for a way to point out to other people how they're wrong and we're right. But they put a nice veneer over it of how holy they were. And how much of God's word that they knew. And they did know a lot. We brought in a first century Pharisee today and he came up here and he started speaking about the, the law of God that we find in the Old Testament. He would put me to utter shame because he would know it so well backwards and forwards and every application of it because that, they were so, so incredibly dedicated to that. And yet as they were dedicated to that, they were missing the very spirit of it. Not that much of what they said was wrong, but the spirit of how they applied it was wrong. Now here's the challenge as we, we baptize our preferences, as we make them sound holy. A lot of times then, people don't react well to us because as we go out and we're self-righteous and we're hateful and we're mean and we're self-centered and we're looking out for number one and we're demanding that everyone respect our rights and not caring about other people's and we're doing all this stuff that everyone in society does. I'm not thinking of any one group. This is what everybody does. And nobody likes it in anyone else. They look at Christians that do it and they look at the language that we use and they say, well, we don't like you. And then they're not nice to us. And then we say, well, we must be on the narrow path because people don't like us. It's tough. We're persecuted. And so often what we are is we're just obnoxious. The Pharisees were obnoxious. Now, it's not that they weren't right to stand for the righteousness of God. We need to be clear about that. We should seek to do the things of the Lord. We should seek to care about the things that God cares about. But we need to do it in a way that's entirely different than the way the world functions. And when we, when we hold on to the law of God, but we're not actually doing it with the grace of God, we're just finding a different way to be worldly. Where are we doing that in our lives? Where am I doing that in my life? I need to ask that question. Where is it that I sound really righteous and holy and I'm standing up for God's truth and I'm going to make sure that people know that this is God's truth? 
but what I'm not caring about is this is God's person that he's made and he loves. When I stand up for God's truth, am I doing it to make myself righteous or am I doing it because I want that person to escape the crushing impact of sin and to experience instead God's presence? Because there's the key difference between Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus was more righteous than the Pharisees. He was the only one there at that time who could genuinely say, I am more righteous than the Pharisees. What was the difference for Jesus? Jesus loved the people. You see, that's the difference between baptizing worldly ways and actually living according to the kingdom is to to actually start with the basis that we should love God and love our neighbor. And when that's the basis, that greatest commandment, we don't abandon the things that are said to be righteous. Jesus talks lots about how we live in a righteous fashion in the Sermon on the Mount that we're looking at. We change our approach to why we do it. But here's our challenge as Christians. That's not how most people do things, whether they're in the church or outside the church. Think about your life and think about the people that you read and you watch, the people that you work with or you go to school with, the people you live next to, the people that you live with, all these different people that we're around, and how do we function as human beings? We don't usually function by loving our neighbor and loving God. We, we look out for number one. We look out for how we can make ourselves look good, and if it can help other people at the same time, that's great. I mean, I'm not saying that any of us are utter monsters that never do what's right, but we spend an awful lot of time worrying about how things are going to be for ourselves. And when we're Christians and we're convicted by this and we say, well, maybe I should live a little differently, we look out at, at other Christians and we say, but other Christians aren't living that way. An awful lot of time it seems like the church is still doing those same things and we look at how they, they're functioning and we look at some of the churches and they're growing really big and they're not doing these things and we say, well, if this is working for all these other people, how could they all be wrong? Maybe we should live that way. Maybe we should just start looking out for ourselves. We should hunker down and defend against the, the other that we don't like. And, and that will work because that's what everybody's doing. But God doesn't care about what everybody's doing. He cares about what he's doing, what he's called us to do. Exodus chapter 23, verse 2. Um, my clicker has quit working. Actually, the slides maybe have quit working. Is that the problem? Oh, there we go. Thank you. Thanks, Leo. Um, you shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. And there it's working again. Thank you so much. Uh, so what, what's God referring to here? There are going to be a lot of times in the history of Israel, there are going to be a lot of times throughout history as God's people that even amongst God's people, the majority are going to be doing what's displeasing to God. And we look at the majority, and it's so easy to fall in with the majority. Why? Because when we're not going with the majority, we feel the force of them going the opposite direction of us. And it's really hard, and it's really uncomfortable, and people don't like us. When we go with the majority, it's easy. It's broad. What do you know? It's the wide gate. One of the commentators reflecting on this passage said that the thing that we learn here as Jesus speaks is that the true faith of God will never be the majority. It will always be a minority faith. 
And for as long as we go until Jesus returns, there will always be a majority out there that doesn't want to do things the way that God wants us to do them. And some of those people are going to claim the name of Christ and some of them aren't. What we need to quit doing is looking at what other people are doing and look to what God is calling us to do. That's really, really hard. But we need to make that decision. I don't want to be of the word, the world. I want to be of the word. And we see that in verse 14. Jesus says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. We're called to go against the flow. Now, I want to make another note. I mentioned that earlier when we were looking at the first description. And once again, the, the way this is sometimes translated isn't necessarily all that helpful. Because it says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. But w- the way we probably have memorized it, what's the most common way? If I said, what's that basic phrase Jesus is saying? What would we say? How, does anyone know what the term that would probably come to us? We use it as a, just an English idiom now. Well, pride does come before the destruction, uh, but with regards to the narrow gate, we think of the straight and narrow, right? Why do we think of straight and narrow? It doesn't say straight and narrow here, you might say. It says the gate is narrow and the way is hard. Well, the King James translated it straight. And so now we, we talk about following the straight and narrow, and, and sometimes it feels a little confusing when we're actually living according to God's way because God's way sometimes feels like it's quite windy. It doesn't feel like an interstate highway. It feels like you've gone down in the Ozark Mountains and you're going through the hills and you don't want to be there at night because the deer are jumping out and and there's these sharp turns and you don't know where you're going to end up necessarily. If it's like a driving rain or something, it's kind of intimidating. I actually, a few years ago, went and did a job interview down in the Ozarks and the rain was pouring down one night. I'm driving through these roads. I'm watching out for deer. I'm trying to stay on the road. It's hard to see with, with the pouring down rain. I was going the right way, but it sure didn't feel like it. And a lot of times when we're doing what God's called us to do, it doesn't feel right. We can see it. We can see what God has said we should do. Clearly, it's, we look at his word and it's clear, and yet we keep thinking, well, maybe God's going to nudge me to do something else. Maybe this is for other people because it feels like I'm on a windy road. Where is that straight and narrow? I, I don't care if it's narrow. I can, I can squish down and go nice and straight on the straight and narrow. That sounds really good doesn't feel straight at all. I think most of us, as we look back in life, if we look back at times where we're doing what God wants us to do, times in our lives where we know that we were doing what we were supposed to do, we'd probably say it didn't feel nice and straight. It wasn't even hard and straight. It wasn't all uphill straight. It was zigging and zagging and going all over the place. We wonder, God, where are you leading me? I'm trying to listen to you. I'm trying to do the things that are loving. I'm trying to do the things that are righteous, and yet I feel like I'm being tossed all over the place. Well, Jesus doesn't say it straight. That, that was a mistranslation that goes, has to do with the way that the King James translators translate it. And we would really do ourselves and others a favor by not using that phrase because it is narrow. But what Jesus wants us to understand is it's hard. It's squishing us down. It's not just sort of narrow. It's getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And I can't even quite breathe because it's so tight at times because it's hard. The word they use to describe it being hard is the word 
that we sometimes translate tribulation in other places. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to suffer. And not that kind of persecution I was talking about before where we're just being obnoxious and people don't like us and they're mean to us because we're being mean. But when we're actually loving people, when we're put, making ourselves vulnerable and we're taking the risk to love people just as God reaches down and loves us even when we're going to just throw it back in his face and we're going to sin against him all the more. And, and, but we see that example of God's love. When we are following that example and it's hard, that's the kind of tribulation that Jesus is talking about. That's the kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about. We're going to feel restricted. It's going to be painful. It's not going to be our natural inclination. When we're on autopilot, we are going to find ourselves in desperately bad places. At times we're not even sure how we're going to stand up. Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Sometimes we just, all we can do is stand. Can't even move forward. What does God call us to do? He doesn't call us to make sure everything keeps moving forward. He calls us to take his word, to take his strength, and to stand firm. And life's going to be pushing us over one way, push us over another way. And here's the thing that really got me thinking about that trophy. That trophy was something visible that someone could look at and say, I'm going to work until the day that I win that. Maybe I imagine that person was competing in some kind of sport and saw people ahead of him or her that had earned a trophy like that and said, I am going to, to do all the workouts. I'm going to do all the practices. I'm going to do all this stuff so that someday, someday I am going to be the one with that trophy. And then that someday came and that person held up that trophy and felt so proud for a moment before it went into storage and ultimately went out to be thrown away. Something that you can grasp onto right now. And that wide, easy path feels like we can grasp onto it now because we can look as we're going down the highway and our speedometer is moving up and up and up. We're moving smoothly towards where we think we're trying to go. But leading to destruction and everything that we're accumulating along the way that we hold on to is going to be the sort of thing that eventually we just want to put out have picked up in, by the trash. Some of you, I'm going to, make myself, I'm going to age myself somewhat by, by using this, but... It's because it's not nearly so common anymore. But does anyone remember layaway? Yes. Yeah, not so common anymore. Why? Well, because most of us now, if we want to buy something, we can't afford it, what do we do? We pull out our credit card and we buy it on credit, right? And we just pay it off and we get hit by huge interest rates. But that's how we do it nowadays in our society. But it used to be what you'd do is if there was something that you wanted and you didn't have enough money for it, you got it on layaway. And, and I remember when I was little, one, one thing that was on layaway that my parents were getting for me was a, a bike. And I, I remember really liking this bike. It was a purple and black bike with a green snake that was twisted around it. And it was just so neat. I, I remember really being excited about this bike. It was at Kmart, another place that isn't around anymore. And, and I remember us going over and, and going to the layaway, layaway department and paying towards this bike. And 
the frustrating thing about layaway is you go there and you make your first payment and your second payment, you don't have the thing. Buy it on credit, you have the thing right now. You may not ever be able to afford it, but you have it. If it's a big thing like a car, maybe they come and repossess it, but, but you have it in the moment, you have it right now. But on layaway, it required patience. You had to kind of look to something that you weren't going to have at the moment and say, this is so good, this is something I want so much that I am going to, to work towards it and get it at some point. And in a sense, when Jesus calls us to the kingdom of heaven, he's calling us to a heavenly layaway, not because we can earn it, but because we're laying away the benefits to an extent. Because the earth has all kinds of things that are nice, wide, easy off-ramps that we can go speeding off onto, and right in this moment, it's going to feel great. It's going to feel like we've accomplished something. People are going to praise us. Other people are going to want to be like us. It's going to come up empty. It's going to be that trophy at the end of the driveway. What Jesus calls us to do is that narrow path, and one of the reasons that it's so narrow is because we don't experience it right now. We read his word, and he tells us it's going to be hard. But why do we do it? Because we don't want the, the old rusty bike that, that isn't any good and won't drive safely. We want to wait and get the purple and green bike with the snake on it that looks so neat. And God's kingdom is so much better than that bike ever was, so much better than whatever it is that you've ever hoped for or wanted. God's kingdom it's everything that we were meant to experience as human beings. And God calls us to wait. Say, God, take my life as a payment. I can't earn anything. In fact, I'm giving you my life, but I'm now in deeper debt than if I didn't give my life at all because I'm a sinful human being. There's no reason you should want me, but God says, I'll pay that debt. All you need to do is want it and be willing to wait. Jesus here is challenging us to make a choice, to make a choice on what we're going to be about. Are we going to be about the, the satisfaction now or the satisfaction that lasts forever? Are we going to be one where, are we going to chase after that which appears to be much but ultimately is unfulfilling? Or are we going to chase after what appears to be little in this moment because it's so distant, but it's everything? Are we going to choose what brings us earthly success and praise and in the moment seemingly everything that we want are we going to choose to follow God and ultimately experience not earthly praise but to hear God say to us well done good and faithful servant welcome into my presence my son my daughter we're we going to choose that's what Jesus is challenging us to today may we choose his kingdom not because we can earn it, but because God in his mercy chose us. God in his mercy offered us that kingdom, offered us a place in it, offered us to come to his table and to feast because he loves us, even though we're imperfect. Even though if the roles were reversed, we would never choose him. Are we going to choose him or are we going to choose the world? Let's pray that we choose him. Father, we come before you and so often it appears that the things of the world are better. They, they offer more excitement. They offer more happiness in the moment. They, they offer peace. They offer being able to go with everybody else and not running against the crowd. They offer the ability to build ourselves up and, and see the flaws in other people. They offer the ability, even when we know that we're doing wrong, to, to chase after it. 
Your way is the narrow way, and yet it's also the way that as we turn toward it, you do the work. An incredible thing that is, you call us to wait. You call us to be willing to face difficulty and struggle in this life, but you don't call us to earn a place before you, but instead you give it to us. Lord, would you help us to choose that tonight and every day? And even as we do and have chosen that, Lord, would you help us to continue to choose that path each and every day, that our actions and our thoughts might align with what is pleasing to you and would help other people to see you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.